0: Welcome to Order Up, the restaurant operations podcast brought to you by Ops Analytica. Hey, it's Tommy. Um, If you don't currently have an ops management platform like Ops Analytica in your business, then I hate to be the one to tell you, but you are losing to your competitors that do. It is 2021. If you honestly believe that the world we live in today with technology the way it is, that you can still compete with other chains that have real-time visibility into their operations, that have the ability to identify issues, to crowdsource solutions, and are able to then roll out process changes in hours or a day or two versus weeks or months. If you think you can beat them, then you are crazy, right? I see what our clients are doing with our platform every day. They are incrementally getting better because they manage their entire system like a GM manages a restaurant. You cannot compete with that. Data is not going away. Technology is not going away. You cannot operate like this is 1985 anymore. You have to get real about your operations. You can't back into it by looking at customer satisfaction and food costs and labor costs and all that stuff. You got to have real-time Ops data so you can manage your business better. And Ops Analytica is dying to help you make that transformation. Uh, Check us out at OpsAnalytica.com. Hey there, Order Up Show. It's Tommy back with another episode. I'm super excited to welcome Linda Roth to the show. How are you doing, Linda?
1: Great. Great. Thanks, Tommy.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for coming on. Uh, Linda's uh, from my old stomping grounds in Maryland and Virginia. So we're going to have a lot to talk about with that. Um, so Linda, this is a very uh, you know, regimented uh, and I'm super professional podcast host. So uh, we're going to get into <laughs> our five questions for the day, which are, uh, we'll start with question number one as a treat. But what do you do today? And then take us through your career progression from your first job until now.
1: Okay, well, um, today I am the, the CEO of Linda Roth Associates, which is a PR marketing firm that uh, I've had for, wow, since the 80s. And um, But as CEO, I mainly manage finances. I do contracts, invoicing, and I uh, work with our, the president, vice president for long-range strategy, which these days is always challenging, but that's why I got mm-hmm. people. And um, so, in, in my um, in my genealogy, um, I, I started promoting. A, a, I got in the business promoting a, a disco uh, in the Georgetown section of DC way back when, and um, <laughs> I mean, discos were hot. And I learned, uh, you know, I learned how to promote. I learned how to get celebrities in. And I took that to the next level when, um, and I worked with a private club that was uh, partly owned by Jack Boyle's Cellar Door Concerts, which later became Live Nation. And he would have, you know, acts like the Eagles, he would come in after their concert. And he goes, oh, by the way, it's Glenn Fry's birthday. We're gonna have a birthday party for him. Can you, can you put something together quickly? I'm like, yeah. So that, that kind of uh, on the spot stuff. And then, um, from there, actually, Jack asked me to help launch a new high-end restaurant that his favorite server at the Palm was opening. And you always really <laughs> that. so um, that's that's what really launched my career because you know between everybody that this guy knew at the Palm and everybody Jack knew, we we brought in all kinds of folks, and, and it was um, it, it you know it became the CNBC in place, and because of that my next big call was from Arnie Morton of uh, Morton Steakhouse thing mm-hmm. who was going to open his first restaurant outside of Chicago, the uh, Morton's of Chicago Steakhouse. And he said, this is, I got to be successful the day I open, just like I am back here in Chicago. And I learned that was an ongoing theme from other restaurateurs who chose DC as their first um, area to open up their, their, uh, their first restaurant outside of their hometown. So Al Copeland of Copeland's of New Orleans contacted me there. I mean, he was, you know, first with um, Popeye's and then Copeland's. Roger Berkowitz from Legal Seafoods, Rich Melman of Let Us Entertain You. Gosh, I opened up Maggiano's, Corner Bakery, Big Bowl, Monami Gabi, Jones Joan Stowcraft. I mean, everything that was in their um, repertoire. And, um, and then, After that, the um, circle back, the first guy I ever worked for in the disco, Michael O'Hara at Tramp's Disco, he started a local chain of uh, sports bar restaurants called Champions. And he had just signed a contract with Marriott to open up in Marriott properties across the country. And he said, I need somebody who can put together training programs. And, you know, all of a sudden it it was like a new world for them. So I, I started working uh, within Marriott culture. I wonder there was such a thing as Marriott culture. Huh. That was a, and that's how I learned about hotels. I mean, it was, um, look, t- you know, sort of teaching them what it was like to promote a popular sports bar that wasn't, you know, your typical sports bar because it was it was a place for, for boys and girls. Yeah, men and women that were, felt equally comfortable there. And, um, and then we start. I started, working with um, lots of different hotel groups after that, after understanding how they work and they all have their own cultures at Hilton and Starwood. And this is before they became acquired. So Hyatt, Kimpton intercontinental. So it was learning about uh, the hotel world and the food and beverage world within hotels as well. Um, and as we know that, you know the pandemic has hit uh, the our industry really hard, hotels especially. And uh, but they're on their way back. We're we're starting again with um, resuming after hiatus with a, a lot of our hotels uh, in the region. But um, in addition to the um, hotel and restaurant industry, we always promoted shows. You know we were, we were always in showbiz, so it was computer shows and boat shows. And now we're still doing that. We're doing anime shows and awesome con shows. And we just did one this weekend in DC that, you know, 50,000 people showed up over a, wow. I mean, it was, it was amazing. People were just ready to go. So, um, so there's a lot of progressions and things that morphed into other things. Um, we promoted the National Cherry Blossom Festival for close to 10 years. In DC, and built up a lot of international uh, media contacts. Um, and to this day, we're doing events for events DC, like the Embassy Chef Challenge, and so it, it's expanded. But it's all about hospitality and uh, and dealing with uh, service to the consumer. So we have so many things that kind of overlap,
0: uh, <laughs> which is which we'll dive into. So number one in your time back at the tech and with like the beginning of live nation stuff did you ever run into a guy you might have been a bouncer at the time named kevin fitzgerald he was with the stones but he was really close with barry fay and i think and then they're all connected he's out in colorado but they were oh. all connected with the live nation guys uh because they were all the big concert promoters back in the day um you yes. may not have but uh But Kevin, like, you know, he bounced for the stones and like, he's a comic too. And he was actually on a show called Animal ER for years. He's this big, tall, white hair guy. He's a vet. I mean, he's had the most insane life ever. Like just the most random, like Keith Richards is the one that told him he should go to vet school. You know, he's like, you should, you can't bounce forever, mate. You got to go do something. So uh, like on a private plane, you know, flying somewhere. But uh, we, so... Okay, hold on. So I went to hotel restaurant school in the early 90s at the University of Denver. And then I came back to Maryland. So that's how I got to Colorado, because I had looked on the East Coast for hotel restaurant schools, Widener and Cornell and, you know, but I had grown up on the East Coast. I'd been my first couple years in college in Valley Forge Military in Philly. And I was like, I just want to get off the East Coast for a while. So it was like Colorado and UNLV were the two other schools you would go to. Yeah. So I chose DU because I wanted to ski and I didn't want to be in like baking sun. And um, yeah, exactly. And then I came back and I worked at a country club called River Bend Country Club out in Great Falls. Yeah. That first summer out of school. Yeah. I was the assistant ops manager there for like four and a half months. And I had just walked in where the original GM had just left and they'd brought in a new guy who might still be there. was a really great guy. But there was just all, you know, in a country club, it's all about the board and everyone's got these relationships and there's all this yeah. turmoil. And so two things happened. That's a bunch of things happened that summer. Number one, I realized hotel restaurant degrees don't prepare you to actually run restaurants. So I had to learn how to like run a, like run food and beverage over there. Number two, I got really... Burned out because I was in the middle of this political hubbub. Uh, but then also at that same time, I like was talking to a good friend of mine. This is like I'm 23 years old, and she's like, I was like, I should just be a stand-up comedian. And she's like, You should. You don't want to be like 40 with kids and a mortgage and regret that you didn't do it in your 20s. When,
1: exactly.
0: So then literally I started doing stand-up in Baltimore like mid-August of that summer. Um, I did my first show like August 12th at a bar on Lake Street called Winchester's. Oh and uh um, yeah <laughs> so uh i know it's ridiculous and then um and then i got laid off and so i just became a stand-up comic at that point because i knew after that first show i'm like i want to be a comedian and then the hospitality industry is great for that because for the next 10 years i like worked at all levels of the hospitality business from waiter to you know manager at uh, multiple places so um but so you're, so you're a so fully rounded individual totally and then now i own a tech company so you know it just all makes sense right right um it's like a perfect career path that you would just totally plan on um but i know because we used to produce concerts too and major events uh at one of my jobs like i used to produce uh colin mockery and brad sherwood from whose line is it anyways we used to bring them in uh oh, you know to denver all the time and we would produce them. comedy shows big events uh stuff like that so we have that in common I managed the PF Chang's right across the hallway from the Legal Seafood and Tyson's too. I opened and... that PF
1: Chang's. Did we work together? My God, wait a minute. I opened that Legal Seafoods, I opened yeah. that PF Chang's, the Maggiano's. So all the rest who of
0: was there. the He's marketing food. partner? Paul. The operating partner was Paul. <sighs> who was the operating partner at the Chang's?
1: I'm um, blanking. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm blinking, too. He was a very nice guy. He kind of met with a, a sad demise within the Chang's infrastructure, which I don't want to get yeah. into on the air. But like, uh, but I worked there, and so I was basically moving to New York to do stand-up in 2001, and uh, I, I was going to just wait tables there because I had opened Broomfield uh, here in Colorado, and yeah. I just needed to bank some money, live at my parents' house so I could afford to move to um, New York City to do stand-up. And, at that point, I'd been doing comedy like six years. So I had a good act. I'd been touring, but I was making no money. I was broke and I was just kind of tired. And you, you get to that point where in your early 30s, you're out doing goofy stuff and everyone else is getting married and having kids. And, you know, it was just one of those weird times in life where I was like, feeling like, what am I doing here, you know? Right. And so then I got, I literally waited two shifts at that PF Tanks and they made me a manager. And then they started paying me good money and then I was like getting comfortable and you know, I went and bought a Volvo and I just like, I don't know, I was just getting very comfortable and I stopped like really saving money to go to New York. And then by mid-summer, I was like, okay, I got, what am I doing? I don't want to be like a manager, like doing this all the time. Let's go to finish. Let's go ride this comedy thing out in New York. Then 9-11 happened, then New York got bad. So I moved to LA. So anyhow, which was actually the biggest mistake I made in my comedy career not moving to New York, uh, but is is it, yeah, I know exactly. But then I went and have my wife and kids. So yeah, everything happened for a reason. Um, yeah. But can I just say, and I'm saying this to the whole world and I'm monopolizing your podcast and I apologize, is Legal Seafood's cream of crab soup is the greatest cream of crab soup in the world, Period. <laughs> I stand by the. I will take it over. Uh, one of the places that I love so much that I think they went out of business during the pandemic. Oh gosh, darn it! They had one in Columbia. They had one in Tyson's. They have one in Georgetown. Clyde's. Clyde's. Yeah. I will. I will put it up next to Clyde's cream of crab
1: soup. Yeah, Clyde's. Clyde's is still going strong. Thank God. I think the one
0: in Columbia Mall. The one in Columbia on Lake Kittimakundi closed.
1: Yes. Yes. They. They've. Uh, yep, yeah, True. But all the rest of them. They're uh, you know, they still own the the one of the largest grossing restaurants in, in the country with old Epic Grill, oh. followed close behind by the Hamilton. <laughs> oh man. It's live entertainment, oh. too. But yeah, so it's um but the thing is you get addicted to it and you realize that if you're a stand-up comic, you are like in your element when you're working in the restaurant industry, actually. Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> I make so much money in tips. Like, and I worked like, and I was like such a, I was a total Changer. Like, you know, I worked at five Changs in like a couple of year period. I opened the one in Pittsburgh, the original one in Pittsburgh as a trainer. Yeah, I did a bunch there. But we put $80,000 a week in revenue sales on that Changs in 2001 just by focusing on four table sections. they had gotten lazy and gone to five and six table sections and just really focusing on like, uh, you know, we were just giving that Chang service, you know. Um yeah. well,
1: memo was, riding
0: and all it that. It was stuff.
1: a new concept. It wasn't just your regular Chinese restaurant. They played, you know, rock and roll music and the servers wore jeans and and uh, you know looked very cool. So it was uh, ahead of its time and it and it, you know, it 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 rode the wave, created it. Oh, yeah.
0: And they're still relevant. I mean, you know, they're still busy. You go after the one out here is one of the like Tyson's is one of the busiest in the country. This one out here and, and by your uh Jerry your centennial, like uh uh no uh park Meadows. The Park oh. Meadows one was always one of the biggest ones too, like just from a volume perspective. Um, so I think they're all they still make they just print money at that place. But we were really printing money in the early two thousands and Tyson's went, you know that time yeah
1: and, and plus when you're in a, in a shopping mall and i try and uh the reason why i, I think i did all the openings at the, uh, the restaurants and shopping malls because i educated them i said well first of all tyson's too never brought in the kind of, of of foot traffic that the other tyson's the original did but i told him i said yeah. you're not going to have like your regular day parts especially on the weekends because you're going to open and you're going to start serving lunch and it's going to go right through the day just as strong because all these people are shopping they're coming in and out. So you got no breaks. You're not going to be like, oh, after two o'clock we have a break. It ain't going to happen. So no. yeah. Well, there was a
0: while there, like on the weekdays, we put 10 two tops in the hallway between the Chang's entrance and the legal seafood entrance. And we ran an entire 10 table station up yep. there. Because all those KPMG guys and all those guys from the big office buildings. You know, we could just watch them at like eleven thirty. You could just watch all those people walking up to the uh, to the mall, and especially every server at the host stand with a with menus. Where do you want to sit? Right my section.
1: Right. You know, especially during the holiday season when it was just crazy there. When we did the opening of Legal Seafoods, there it was actually. Right. Right. When the holiday season was starting, and I said, we, you know, we can't shut down your place to do a private party. I know it'll kill you to do that, Roger. So I said, we'll do something. But I, I wasn't telling him what I had in mind, because with one of his managers, what we did and I'm still waiting for him to, to uh, remember and get revenge is we told him uh, Bill Clinton was president at the time. And we told him huh. and, and he was known for going shopping. We told and and we hired an impersonator. And we told him that Bill Clinton was working his way towards the restaurant, and the Secret Service had already been there to clear it, and because he was staying at the at the Ritz-Carlton with his father, that was you know right there as part of the as part of the mall, and we saw him running, running. <laughs> the hotel through the mall and we already had this guy and he was in the restaurant. He was going over to people and we had secret service standing around And while he was going up and he was basically doing shtick with people. So Roger gets really close and it was, you know, big floor to ceiling windows and he stares inside and it dawns on him while he's watching this impersonator that this is actually not the real president. So. Yes. <laughs> But we got him, and we got this great piece that came out in the uh, in the post the next day. And he said, "I will get you back. I don't know when, but I will get you back."
0: That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. So okay, so uh, I just so that everybody who's not from that area doesn't just like go, "Oh gosh, guys, talk about something else." So tell us about like your business. So you're an event planning, marketing, PR, and you'll do that for all parts. Of a restaurant or a hotel concept, or is it mostly just event planning? Like,
1: let's get into that a little bit. Uh, well, because I know yeah, most, we could probably
0: just talk about Maryland forever. <laughs> it, it's
1: mostly about actually marketing and PR. We we build partnerships, so we work with like sure. the local community and, um, you, you know, whatever makes sense. Right now, we're working on um, um, food halls because what's really been happening um as the next progression in in our world as it is today is a lot more food hall so first you know we had ghost kitchens for a while and now we have um we've got a couple of them that we're working on that have different concepts so we're partnering with local community um efforts like um the, the charities that either help uh, homeless people or help feed people or help with education or help train people that's another big one is helping Train people in food service jobs. So, and that's that kind of partnerships, and also big social media campaigns as well. Um, our event planning really comes in when we plan the events to bring attention to an opening or to a special new partnership. Or it's you know it's always related sure. to something that's going to you know bring a higher profile to um, to the to the establishment. So, um, and we and we're having a great time doing it because a lot of it is developing and we're helping develop it as it comes along. So we've put some protocols in place where we know um, like one, one uh, Western market is near the campus of George Washington university. So we've brought in partnerships with the, with the school, with the um, the, the medical faculty associates. We're doing something with them with the law school. So we're, we're knowing that who's going to benefit the most from both sides. You always want something that's going to be- benefit Uh, They have both sides feel like they're getting the best end of the deal. So that's um, between that and the, um, you know, there's a senior citizens group in there, too, that we're working with. So it's always fun to try and bring in um, new vertical markets to um, to anything new that's opening in the area, because sometimes it's things you didn't think about that are nearby. And that's why we we always talk to people and we always find out who's in the neighborhood. A, a long time ago, somebody thought, well, you must have like this magic list of people you invite to every mm-hmm. opening. And that's why your openings are always so great. And I, and I just, you know, would smile and agree with them because we, there's no one list. I mean, every, sure. every place is unique and we do all the research for um, the community around there. We have tons of, so there's some people that are just just gifted on on being able to discover and do the research and find out businesses, residential areas. And then besides that, you have to have inside people to help you. When we opened, we we did an opening. that was a restaurant that was across from the FBI building. You can't get into the FBI. You can't send them a press release or get in there. So I, I had a friend of mine working there and I said, what I need you to do is start like bringing your associates over because we have to go through the, you know, Because, of course, they want to see the the head of the FBI showing up at their restaurant, which is eventually what happened. We did. Um, Of course, it helps that you're opening when you had a Supreme Court justice and and uh, the Speaker of the House there. So it helped bring some attention to because when you have a concept, that's one of the things that's unique about the D.C. area is that we can take advantage of whatever area somebody is coming from. So when we had, you know, Roger Berkowitz coming in from Boston, we had the, the we, we hit up Congress. It's all the representatives, the senators, the, uh, the, the staff of the representatives and senators that would come in and because they, this is their hometown concepts, it's finally here. And they could um, introduce all of their colleagues and friends and associates as to um, what's wonderful about that. So, and and they would always show up. They always came. So, we always had um, members of Congress there that were happy. I mean, so, uh, Supreme Court Justice Kennedy had proposed to his wife at Taddej Grill in San Francisco. So that's why he was thrilled to be able to come to the one here in DC. We gave him a romantic table. And I mean, it, was, it just uh, worked out when you have an advantage like that. And, and you know, it's, it's beyond that too. It's, um, you know, we have so many different groups coming in from Texas here. We have the Texas State Society based here. So we like to invite them or just do special events just for Texas State Society, Louisiana State Society. And it's a lot of businesses from from that area and residents that are here. And they are thrilled to be able to learn about, um, you know, a new place opening that, you know, is familiar to them. So we try and leverage all the assets of this area. And, you know, these days it's you have more challenges than most, but you just got to be creative. And resourceful—that's number one term. Resourceful.
0: Yeah, we were. T- I was talking with somebody else the other day on the on the podcast, and you know, it, the pandemic. What it did was it it took it 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 like threw. I drew a line in the sand, and it said, "You can either get on this left hand side of the line, which is shrivel up and die, and and you know just give up, or you get on the right hand side and get." busy getting resourceful and figure it out and actually not that you would enjoy it because it was such a turmoil time but you know for a lot of people that just put their brains into high gear they just unleashed a a wave of creativity and and just a a recommitment to we're not going to quit and those people i think have benefited through the pandemic and a lot of other people were just like oh
1: man and they
0: just kind of shut the doors.
1: Uh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. In fact, um, we work with the, Re- the Restaurant Association Metropolitan Washington, and we have our annual awards. And this year, they um, changed the different categories of awards to take advantage and to highlight the people that were able to pivot, to be resilient, to come up with new packaging or new ways that would be uh, adapt to the pandemic. And so we have so many new categories and so many people in all those categories because we you know we can't say who's the best chef who's the best new restaurant we really at some point it'll go back to that but we wanted to address all the hard work and all the creative the creativity and resiliency of of the restaurants that did survive and did you know somewhat thrive and some of them are just you know lessons learned and they've also helped some of the other food halls i mean I, i mean um Uh, food banks in the area. Um, So a lot of them that were feeding their employees, they were feeding others in the industry. Um, So all of those are going to get the kudos. In fact, our awards are, they're coming up on, um, in uh, September 19th. And it's, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, when you first, you want to see what are you doing for your industry? Well, you create a program that highlights people that have been exceptional and take notice, and then it means something. It means something to not just the people in the industry, but to the consumers, too, that there's, there's, um, you know, th- that's why the Oscars mean something or, the, you know, for any uh, association that's got membership that wants to highlight what they've done that's been over and above. So it's, and boy, has our industry done stuff over and above.
0: Absolutely. So you kind of tagged on this, so but I'll just say question number two is what's the big project or initiative that you're working on right now? And it, you probably kind of covered a little bit of it, but, you know, I'll just. Yeah,
1: well, food halls is, is one of them. We're working on a couple of food halls. But also what we did is, you know, back in uh, May and June, we opened uh, three new restaurants. And so we're you're doing a launch during a time when everything's reopening and then it's not. And then it is so you've got to adapt yeah. back and forth, and it's not just to what's happening with um, with your guests; it's it's your staff as well. So there's a, a True Lux that uh, opened up, and they opened up right they had ready to open the year earlier, right across from the convention center. Talk about you know having to get yeah. so we we ended up um, we we did um, a partnership with destination dc's um nonprofit, the american experience foundation because there's so many businesses in the area that support um aef and it's a it's a program that helps um kids place kids in internships um around the dc area and they you know that's it has what's been sustained the um the 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 uh, business for both lunch and dinner there um delania by richard sandoval also opened up uh not far in the area and they have just right now you can't get a reservation until i think the end of september there so yes so um that worked and then also we have a local uh restaurant um group called fish and fire food group. And they opened up a place in, um, remember Buzzard's point. I don't, Buzzard's point had nothing there for a while. And now it's like the cool part of town and they opened the point and it's a seafood place with this enormous outside deck. The views of the sunset are amazing. And it's, um, it's in back of the, the new stadium, the soccer stadium. So oh, new wow. parts of town or and, and there's parking there, which is a big yeah. bonus when you're, uh, when you're planning your trip. So that's, you know, trying to take advantage of the things that are important to people and also making sure that it's, you know, you got to build, launch, right. And then continue to grow no matter what's yeah. going on, be able to do that. Well, and that's
0: what I always thought was so great about, P.F. Chang's model. And I'm sure they stole it from somebody else, but it was that operating partner model. Yes. Right. Yes. Where where you get a guy and you say, or a gal and you say, Hey, look, you've been a GM or an assistant GM with us for years. We're going to give you a chance to own your own restaurant. You're going to give us 25K, which is a reasonable amount of money. You can you can raise that if you're not like a rich person, you know, you can right. you can scrape that together, especially if you know, it's coming down the pike. But then they would get their normal salary, their normal profitability bonus, but then they'd also get that other profitability bonus uh put into like a annuity or a 401k or something of that effect, right? Like a pension um, yeah. type of instrument and then basically you get that stability in there for the first 5 years because anybody who's opened a lot of restaurants knows that if you biff it in the first month, you will be playing catch up for three years like it just you cannot like it's just it's it's so amazing to watch how a bad opening can just translate into three years of struggling sales high everything and everything that goes with that but when you can
1: knock it out of the park and you can get good momentum that thing will just grow right at the opening but the first restaurant group I knew of that that set up that um platform was Outback Outback had sure. the managing partner Not the buy-in, brilliant. and sure. they went and did something nobody else had done. They didn't open till four o'clock. They weren't open for lunch, and it was they were all so incredibly profitable that it was yeah. just it was it was pretty brilliant. And one of the um, Tim Gannon, which is one of the founders of Outback, actually had been working with Al Copeland. And, um, oh, well. but he decided he was gonna go off and try this. And so even and Al said, "Hey, I you know, he he loved it too. I mean, they were noticed. They were noticed by people in the industry, and I think it was um, they picked up on it. This is how to keep your your top, upper level management with you. Yeah, well, I mean,
0: one of the biggest complaints, I mean, I remember this I 1992, like first semester at University of Denver. You know, I remember the dean of the school was teaching our intro to hospitality class and he was like, you know, the restaurant industry was like 80 hour a week job and now it's like 60 and we're really like focusing on the families and stuff. But in today's world, especially with, I think, the millennials uh, and, you know, I think that they just have different needs and wants and they're not going to go work 80 hours a week. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, I don't think, I just don't think the hospitality industry can, can attract the kind of talent they're going to want to attract unless they can figure out how to staff in a way where you get a little bit of normalcy and you got a little bit of predictability in your life. I mean, not completely. I mean, you're going to work nights, you're going to work days. You know, I've got friends that are nurses and doctors and they're doing that kind of stuff too. So it's not, you know, it's not the end of the world. It's not like it's an impossibility, but I just don't think you're going to get the people you want and keep them. For a long period of time and make them into a career position if if everybody's just dying to get out of the restaurants you know what i mean yeah like, mm-hmm. like,
1: um yeah that's nuts um people could have a, you know have a life that was the whole idea yeah.
0: exactly like and so like and there are period, like you know life isn't like a it's not just one thing you know it, it, you go through phases, right? You have your little kid phase, you have your college phase. In my case, you have 10 years of stand-up phase. You know, <laughs> whatever it is that you just do that's goofy. And so, but they, they don't last forever. Like you go through, you know, just, nothing is stagnant. And so for people to be able to stay in the hospitality industry and we don't have this talent drain of all these people that get the GM of these really high-end restaurants and then they, you know, bolt or because they just can't do it anymore you, we've got to come up with creative ways using this technology and all these other things to staff uh, and, and get people in um and i've been we've been saying this a lot on the podcast lately too like i, I and i'll say it one more time so that you listen to it all the time okay shut up is that the nra needs to spend a little bit of money and promote how cool our industry is especially in this time when um you know it's really hard to get people to come back to work and get them hired like we are a cool industry and we do do cool things I mean, think of all the people you've met and all the like you know parties you went to and you know just all the things that you did like just you know amazing people amazing experience amazing meals amazing
1: drinks you know
0: and uh and, awesome, and to awesome. also show no. that it's a,
1: it's a career path too it's not yeah. just something that you do while you're in between other jobs it is exactly.
0: And, and that's okay if you do that for a period of time. And that's cool too, if you're honest and open about it with yourself and, you know, with your manager say, I'm in college and I'm going to wait tables here, but you know that when I leave, I'm going to another college. Uh, that's fine. We will trade, you trade your skill and we'll trade it for money. That's totally cool. But you can have an amazing career in this business. Yeah, and, I, and I feel like I'm preaching to the choir though, because I think that the people who listen to the podcast pretty much are already kind of bought in on this. but. uh I just want to reinforce it.
1: <laughs> well, yes, I mean it doesn't hurt to reinforce it because we all know, you know, the the founder of Clydes, who um, uh, uh, Stuart Davidson, who famously said, "I'd rather eat in a bar than drink in a restaurant." Um, his uh, his his bar back, uh, John Latham, who was who was working there part time while he was going to school at Georgetown, uh, he ended up as you know co-owner and president of the company. So to soul but he was you know that was our famous example of that yeah this is a career path and you can and if you love it you'll continue to love it and and grow within it and make some money too yeah make a lot of money if you do it right yeah if and still have a family yeah. and still be able to do all the things that uh you know that you assume that you do when you get older so uh as as you become an yeah. adult Yeah. Okay. So
0: I'm adding a new question to the podcast here, which I just started. Yeah, uh, like this week, last week. So it's pretty new. So you'll be the second person who gets it. What do you think makes a successful, like, what what are the fact? How am I gonna put this? Why are some companies so super successful, and what 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 are they doing that's making them so successful? i'm talking hospitality companies restaurants hotels
1: whatever chains. doesn't right. matter right but there's, what is
0: the what is the thing that's making these guys make the profits right i,
1: I think that um there's probably a variety of but what i've observed in the different groups i work with is um a, a lot of the groups that have expanded that have been really successful they've worked out a lot of what their their kinks were early on. And so they have a program and they have a, protocol, have a protocol and they know what works for them. And they know how they like to open and they know how many people they like to work with. They know what kind of community outreach and partnership they're looking for. So it's not, and they listen. One of the things that I, you know, and I'm, it's not just patting ourselves on the back, they listen to the people in the communities that are outside of their own, where they're looking to expand on what works there. So um, you, it sometimes, you know, it's not like McDonald's, where it doesn't matter, because it's just so basic, it works everywhere. But sometimes you you do have to adapt. And so these are the companies that will uh, like w- w- working with Let Us Entertain You, they they had nothing but hits, but, you know, variety of concepts and hits. When they came into our area, they said, this is how we do it. Um, is there anything we should be looking out for here? Well, yeah, there was a couple things that they, they needed to look out for. And they did. But they still kept to their core idea and their, their core menu. I mean, occasionally, yeah, you know, you've heard where they, they change, you know, menu items that reflect the, the locale they're in or, you know, sometimes... When um when when Rich Melman first talked to the folks from Joe Stone Crab, he said, "I, I want to expand the concept. and am to tweak it. I'm going to do it in Chicago, but we got to have beef. We got to have some beef on the menu because these are Midwesterners." So they said, "Yeah, okay. Well, you know, we'll work with you and what you think is going to work." And that's that's what he did. So that's where the Joe's uh, Stone Crab and Prime Steaks and Seafood um, yep. developed. But it's it's um, they always have worked on something for a long enough period of time that they really understand what, what works for them. And it's not, so a lot of the companies that are brand new, that are, that are just out of the chute, they're still working on it. So it's the companies that have, that have tested it out and they have a, you know, they have consistency. And one of the things you want, especially to keep um, staff and management is consistency. So that's, um, and that's been key because we all know that, you know, it, As we've learned, especially in these days, you're not going to grow without your staff, without your managers, because they're they're critical. So what are you doing for them? And not just what you're doing for increased wages, which helps. But what are you doing that's going to meet their needs? And um, as well as people that actually like what they're doing, you know, I mean, you, you can tell that right off the bat. If you don't have people that actually like what they're doing, it doesn't matter, you know, how how great your food is, you know, they did that famous study years ago where they, you know, cooked food perfectly and gave these, it was the same group of, um, uh, you know, convention people in a hotel restaurant, you know, like wonderfully cooked food with a surly awful server. And then the opposite where they had horrible food with just the world's best server. And they asked them afterwards, how was the food? They didn't ask them about anything else. And to a person, they were like, oh, the food was great when it was the horrible food, but it was a great server. And even though it was perfectly cooked, it was like, nah, it wasn't so good. It was all about the service. So it's in, in wow. your while you know how important that training is. And I think a lot of the great restaurant groups I've worked with have spent a lot of time and effort in training. So,
0: okay, so I'm gonna try to sum up what you just said here. <laughs> um, because <laughs> no, because you said a lot of great stuff for sure. and. And actually, you've triggered something, but I think I'm going to forget it by the time I get there. But what you really cited, and I think it was great that you cited this, was you cited Let Us Entertain You. And we've already talked about legal seafood. We already talked about PF Chang's. So we know that those were all, I think what it really comes down to is the successful restaurant groups are very systematized, right? Like that's one of the big things is that they they become systematized operations. It's not willy-nilly, it's not happenstance. They know exactly what they're doing. They have systems and processes in place uh, that they follow, right? So that was one thing Because let us entertain you is the king of that. And Chang's was like that too. And I'm sure legal is as well, you know, but they were very systems, numbers driven businesses. So that you, so you could tell what was actually happening and you could course correct quickly, right? The second thing that you said that I thought was really interesting was, and this is where I think a lot of chains go wrong, was that, you know, everybody is like, nobody wants to perfect anything anymore, right? You just, everybody's like 80%, 80% and let's just grow. We got to start franchising, get your FDD, do whatever it's going to be. We got to start growing, 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 growing. Right. And, yeah. um, but like the really great restaurateurs, they figure out, they perfect the concept. And that might take five or 10 years. And, but that takes a special kind of person too, who can go in because it is a very monotonous, you know, kind of business. You know, we serve lunch, we serve dinner, we we'll wash dishes, you know, it's a very blah, blah, blah. It's kind of the same thing every day. So it does take a very unique person who can go into that same environment every day and see it with fresh eyes and get excited and go, oh man, I gotta, we gotta tweak this. Because it's within really understanding the concept, especially like Sandoval's a good example, because he's got a lot of different concepts, but they're all basically this, they're all high end, very big, high rent, high volume restaurants. They might have different menus, right? But they're all basically he has a formula for those restaurants so he knows how to build that kind of restaurant the staffing the training the sommeliers how many managers blah you know through everything so that that, that was interesting and then you said one other thing consistency you don't have a brand a brand is only what you say it is that and then you say my brand is quick hamburgers or you say my brand is upscale dining you say hey this is what my brand is but your brand is experienced through consistent interactions by customers with the business. So if you don't have those consistent interactions, every single time that meet whatever standard you've set for yourself, then you don't have a brand, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's where I find a lot of restaurant chains really fall down because they don't have the systems in place. And so they're dependent on managerial talent. Um, which is good. I mean, you need talented managers, but not everyone's talented. And so if they don't have the systems to back them up on every aspect of the experience, then that that unit sucks. Like we always had a problem with uh uh what is that mall off Rockville Pike? There's like uh white gosh Smith? darn it. Was yeah, white Smith? flint. The PF yeah. Chang's and White Flint always struggled, but the PF Chang's and Tyson's was always amazing. So, or from a sales perspective at least. Right, but you know, but it was the same company, same systems. Just they weren't executing right, and and that's the thing that that's what my software does. I am execute. I am like operations management execution software. So my software is really built to make people do to take the guesswork out of running all the little stuff. You know, just so everyone can stay focused on the big the big stuff because the little things are getting handled because everybody's on the same page about what needs to get done and when.
1: Um, so anyway, I liked your answer.
0: By the well, way, I, I'm liking this new concept. I bet you like
1: my answer. It kind of supports your business, which is the reason why you've developed it because you know it works. Yeah, exactly. Well, and
0: I came like, so, you know, I, one thing I didn't mention is I also worked at Quiznos, so I, I worked at Chang's in the early 2000s when they were the hot concept and they were making a lot of money and I could see high volume restaurants, but I also worked at Quiznos in like the pan and uh, the 08 crash. When Christmas had just crested 5,000 locations, and my job was franchise assistance. So I was the guy you called when your business was failing. So that was my second MBA right there, which Mm. was, uh, you know, watching these poor people's businesses collapsing around them. And uh, I learned so much about human nature and about, yeah, I learned so much about human nature and just what was happening to these poor people. And I had no clue that I was walking into this. I just needed a job. I got laid off. Uh, I just graduated from grad school. Just got married, had a job. Uh, the the Christ, the real estate crisis, hurt that company. So I I like got laid off from there and found this job at Quiznos, and then and ended up moving into ops services later on. Uh, but I mean, that first ten months was hell. I mean, it was just bad because they, you know, were dropping restaurants like you know, a couple a week, more than that, ten, fifteen a week, maybe. Yeah,
1: Not, was, when you say
0: dropping restaurants, that's ten to fifteen bankruptcies a week, probably of somebody right. who's just throwing in the towel on their business and going, "I, am done. I can't lose any more money."
1: Right. That so, was the it. Was horrible time too. So that
0: oh, it was horrible.
1: That really hurt this area. I know that. But oh yeah, I mean. Yeah, no, there's I think that the consistency and also to learn the area you're in, you know, sometimes I, as you know, in this region, we're, we're close to resort area, um, the Delaware beaches. And when I hear people going in and, and opening up restaurants, I said, you know, you're in a different world. Even if you're used to having a restaurant in D.C., you are now have like a three to four month window to make your money. You're in resort oh. property land. I said, you have to adapt to that. And so sometimes the people that do, that's, you know, they understand. I said, there's, there's sometimes when you're not going to have anybody, you know, you have to shut down January, and February, or, or, you know, that's, it's a, it's a system that you don't, not used to. And it's, but what you, what you said before is key. It's a formula. So if you don't really yeah. adhere to a formula, that's right for your area your, your, your type of restaurant, your, I mean, there's so many other things. That, that work but then you stick to it and um well you yeah it's so interesting too
0: because like you you need that formula and that's like the Sandoval's the Changs cuz they tried to apply that to their Zteca uh, restaurants or whatever they were called too yeah you know, like the like the lettuce wrap of like chips and salsa or whatever it might be um but you, it's almost like, too, when you go to these different areas, you know, obviously, everybody who's ever worked in a restaurant is now a restaurant consultant, and they'd be happy to tell you what you're doing wrong. But, you know, it's like, it's almost like a different concept, really. You need, uh, you know how, like, when they bring big ships into harbors, there's a pilot, and they run that guy out because he knows how to take this ship the next five miles better than anyone else in the world. And he only can sail that five miles. But that's a tricky five miles right and, mm-hmm. uh, and if you don't do it right you're gonna end up blocking the suez canal so yeah. it's like uh and so it's almost like you don't want to be a, a restaurant consultant because we can, it's just like going to hotel restaurant school everybody can tell you you know i i knew all the theory but didn't know uh, uh, where the plates went you know what i mean yeah it's like you need almost like a a, a pilot is almost a better term for that where hey i'm the pilot of georgetown and you're going to be dealing with rats high rent and uh you know very demanding guests and your staff's not going to be able to afford to live around here and they're going to be hammered by traffic so how are you going to adapt to those 20 the, the, these are the winds and the currents that you got to figure out so that you can actually be successful here
1: you know what i mean Yep. yeah so, oh absolutely that's almost what
0: you want more <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh, Years ago, there was, and and I I use this example for um, when I was just starting off, it was just on my own and it was in Georgetown. And there was a a group coming in from New Jersey that was opening up a comedy place. And they really were quite successful in New Jersey, but they were going into Georgetown during our liquor license moratorium. And I said to them, and they were doing, they were going into the old cellar door and they were just renovating the whole space, plumbing, electrical. And I said, do you have your liquor license? Because as I recall, Cellador took their license with them. So did you get one from somebody else? And he said, no, no, but don't worry about it. And I was like, oh, I said, oh, you, you need to stop right now. You need to not spend another dime because there's a moratorium. And I remember the guy said, you know what? You just worry about the PR. Let us worry about it. We have our own lawyers, and they're from New Jersey. Big mistake. The fact that they were from New Jersey, anyway. So, um, so they opened a comedy club without a liquor license, and um, uh, two months later, they closed the comedy club uh, because they what? couldn't license. And it was, it was, you know. And then they called me afterwards, and they were like, "Well, maybe we need to, you know, change our concept." And I said, "You know what? You didn't listen to me before. I don't know why I would work with you because I tried to help you." And um and I even tried to bring them a local uh, liquor license attorney to help them. They didn't want to hear about it because they knew their thing and they didn't think about what was like adapting into another environment. So I was like, hmm, okay. So you know they're they're, probably thinking they're gonna buy someone off. Yeah, and there's most yeah, there's oh, well, whatever they thought, you're you're right. Being from New Jersey, I hadn't actually thought about that, but they were um uh, you know, they spent a lot of money. And lost a lot of money, but and that's yeah, not the no, only really story. It's just that you know, it's when people do have successful concepts and they stick to their formula, they also have to realize if there's something that's going to be you know trigger an asterisk, that it's different in the area that they need to listen to the to the um, professionals in the area.
0: Absolutely, and you've been working with really high end single unit small chain operators, and you know, those guys take on so much more risk because they build these, uh, first of all, I think all restaurants are too big in general. I would much rather have a small restaurant on an hour wait than, you know, a big restaurant that's sitting empty. But like these big, these big, beautiful restaurants, these guys, they spend so much money building them out. And then you've just got like this anvil floating over your head. You know what I mean? (laughs) Of just like, just the decor alone you're just like good golly man like if if anything
1: biffs yeah wow, you
0: know nice. what but um
1: you know, but we also have big groups here because i mean you yeah. know pandemic um exception but you know we have large conventions that come in and they have yeah, exceptionally sure. good budgets of spending money in town so we know that you know we have high seasons here for conventions and, and everybody knows that you know they've done their business plan. They've t- taken a look at how many seats they need to fill and you know, in, in how many months they can do that in. And and it yeah. works for them.
0: Yeah, and I guess the real point is too, is you gotta go in well capitalized. And you gotta have a plan. Like, you know, the Gaylord opened out here and they had their sales team going a year before they, before they even broke ground. The Gaylord sales team was out selling conventions, you know? Uh, yes. So, you know, you gotta, ha- you can't just, You yeah, I guess where my like thought process was off there is you just can't go, Hey, you can't just put everything into the building, which some people do. And then they run out of cash and then they don't have anything left or anything else. And then they're just under the gun from day one. But if you, if you're well capitalized, you're going into the right location, you know, you have the right size, you have a good team that you can delegate to, you can make it happen. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's go to another question. What is the one thing in the industry or your business, that, yeah, that's keeping you up at night, if there's anything?
1: Um, well, I think for most everybody I know about, you know, it, it, the the fear of another shutdown uh, oh, right now is, you know, it. there's a, a lot of people that you know kind of barely made it through because you know in DC yeah. it, was, it was shut down. So, and the other thing I think about is is staying competitive um but that's something we have yeah. lots more control over
0: sure yeah absolutely i mean the, one of the biggest themes of restaurant management in the world is control what you can control that like get's so frustrated you know the world's already out to get everybody like and you know compet- competition's hard the marketplace is hard there's always someone creative doing something great but like when you see a restaurant that's not like just controlling what they can control, like the bathroom or, you know, yeah. training or wiping, you know, not just cleaning, right? But like consistency of food, tasting the food, making sure it's warm enough, all those things. You're just like, guys, the piranhas are outside this place trying to get in, but you could totally have just checked that and, and fixed it and it would have been fine and you just didn't get to it. It's yeah. just, it's very frustrating.
1: And attention to detail is also what separates the, uh, the winners. Um, mm. it, it, it's amazing. I, I learned from, you know, all, all these restaurant greats that I've worked with, their attention to detail, you know, the things that you don't think, you know, either you don't see, you don't think it matters, and they realize how much it does. So um, it's, Rich Melman was always my, my hero for that. And I, when he came into the uh, first time he, he was opening up, um, I think, Joe Stone Crab, He said, I'd like to meet all the restaurateurs in town. Do you think they'd want to meet me? And I said, "You are you being serious? Because, you, you know, you're restaurant royalty. And he went, oh, no, no, you're too kind. I went, no, 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 I'm not really. That's like the truth. So and we got everybody to show up. I mean, he wouldn't want to be sitting down having a beer with Rich Mellon, really.
0: Oh man. I walk by that Joe Stone crab every day in Chicago uh, on my way
1: to work. When I lived in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in Chicago, I have to say that, you know, with the NRA show having the having their show in Chicago every year was great because you got to see so many new concepts and Chicago is such an amazing city for innovative concepts that work. Um because yeah. they, don't, they don't like waste their time there and they're um you know, if they're going to try something out, they've already done a lot of their homework. So it was always, or, you know, some people just, that's why they went to, they barely showed up at the show. They'd go and do the, the tours of the different restaurants in Chicago and then, you know, make an appearance at a, a seminar or two at the show, because where else could you just run into everybody you really always wanted to talk to at, at the NRA show? Well, the last couple of years
0: uh, before, um, the pandemic and you know, i was just canceled last year. years but we, we we were going for a couple days and then i'm like you know what it's too much i can't deal with it so we just started flying in morning uh one day we would do the whole show just walk it because we only have a couple of booths we want to hit but there's that let us entertain you it might be the stone crab restaurant uh but it's owned by let us entertain you they've got a crab restaurant as well yeah and so stalls, we, we stalls we crab just, House. Shaw's, yes and there's a bartender uh, and i'm sure she's still there she's been there 35 years yeah you know? she's been there 35 years she probably makes I don't know, 250 grand a year and yeah. like because yeah, <laughs> we we go sit down there at the bar with her and we order that five pound crab you know and <laughs> we just sit there and it's like the best day ever and then you fly home because you know you can only see so much of the restaurant trip before you just like mind them you know but it's like so it's such a fun experience to be there and feel the energy and run into people and try to meet clients but then you know i can't do four days of it It, it'll kill you you just eat too much gelato
1: yeah i know there's there's always a theme (laughs) every year like whether it's coffee or it's like but I always have to stay, you know, at least two days, because number one is, is if you're going to go and try and see all those restaurants, you're going to need to rest up. And also there's other organizations yeah. that have their meetings because, yep. you know, everybody from around the country is going to be there. So the International yeah. Food Editors uh, Council. So we, we meet there. and Le We meet there. So there's all kinds of, you know, IACP that, you know, that has their um, offshoot meetings there, too, during NRA. Sure totally
0: okay we're coming up on it we got two more questions what is the one thing you thought the industry would be doing right now that it's not
1: um i think i had mentioned it before about really making a case for a career path um that that there's you know that's such a vital part of our industry that there is a path but you know and then some of the things that it is doing you know I, i mentioned the awards programs is giving value and, and and to note the things that people have done so whether it's the Ramy awards I know you know the bay Area has the BAMI awards I mean there's th- different award programs but they actually mean something where you can have that as you know you, you include on your menu or you include that when you're promoting your restaurant that you've the winner of this award and it actually has has meaningful value to it so I'm glad that they are going you know that different uh, restaurant groups are doing that, or restaurant um, associations. So, like in De- so, I was
0: a member of the CRA, but it just turned out to be all people like me. It was just all vendors trying oh. to get a hold of restaurant guys. It didn't seem to have a ton of restaurant guys that were actually like. It wasn't like a bunch of chefs hanging out, you know. That those guys just didn't seem to be showing up at that at those events. And then our big awards come from like our local, like you know, you have Washington magazine, but like ours is called 5280. Right. Um, like we'll get those awards and from some of the local papers. But I don't know, and I and I don't know the answer to this, but I'm not sure that there's a huge thing in Denver at least where they're you know, with like the industry's awarding the industry people uh with stuff.
1: Well maybe the restaurant associations, I mean it, it's a it's a big thing to undertake but it also develops over the years like you know the first couple years people were like oh yeah i'm winning an award what does that mean and you have to build up and see that there's meaning to it and sometimes a lot of the promotions we do just for the nominees getting people into those restaurants so because the public votes on a lot of categories so driving people into nominees restaurants all of a sudden they really saw the value in that because that meant something to their bottom line so that's they wanted to, you know, that was even more valuable than if they won because then the promotion stopped. Sure. Uh, at least, ah, they, that's great. Yeah, so it's um, and I and I think it's important that um, that the I think the recognition is always important, and whenever we have superstars, they bring more attention to our industry that shows that there are career paths. So, and I and I applaud, you know, the 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 women and the and the men. That are doing things that are um, helping industry and are gaining a lot of national attention for what they're doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, every time a a chef gets some notoriety for being a great chef, that and, and having great service, mm-hmm. you know, like the yeah. best, the best like little things I love to see are when you got a chef that's also like in the front of the house, and it's like I like the, I like the small, you know, I like the small restaurant where the guy's like, cooking food, he's out there saying hi or her, you know, and they're, they're like true restaurateurs. They're not celebrities, right? Like they're a true restaurateur. They're getting mm-hmm. their hands dirty. They're getting in there. that's, that's what it's so, that's so cool. This is a cool yes. thing. Okay. I'm up to the last question. The war story question. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I want a funny, cringeworthy. Uh, you know, can't believe we got through. I can't believe I saw this story. If you got one,
1: um, okay. Well, I have one that was kind of. It was. It was personally for me more than it was a like cringing in the industry. But that was with um Morton's back when um uh, Morton's first opened in Tyson's Corner. And this was when they announced, the uh, PGA announced the first President's Cup that they were holding at an RTJ course that was also fairly new at the time. And the President's Cup was the U.S. versus the world. Um, It was the best golfers in the world versus the U.S. And I thought, oh, my God, like, these are, this is such the Morton's um, crowd. And uh, I asked the President if, of Morton's, I said, can I invite them in as our guests? There's 12, you know, members to a team plus the coach. So it would be, you know, 26 people. Would that be okay that we would comp? And he said, well, if you're going to get a lot of publicity for it, then, and I knew he was going to be like one of the groupies in the room. If, you know, if he knew who was coming in, like Greg Dorman. And so he approved it. And when I contacted the PGA about it, they were like, well, We are not sure we have to check you out, which they did, you know, anonymously. And they said, We accept your invitation for our players and their wives. I'm like, What? Wives? And also, we went to 52. (laughs) I'm going to cop 52. I was like, Oh my God. So I was like, I'm, so I called the president coming out. I was like, I did not see that coming. I had no idea. And so he said, we already gave the commitment. We have to do it and your tails on the line. So you better get, I was like, oh my God. So I was, you know, um, it worked out well. It worked out well. There was a lot of photos and a lot of, I mean, it was very, um, the funny thing about it was they decide with the European players. And this is back when you could smoke. They they had separate boardroom and you could hardly see what you walked in because of all the smoke and drinks, <laughs> the American side, hardly any drinking, definitely no smoking. It was it was like very uh, telling on which side was which. But that was, um, that's when I learned my lesson to uh, do a little bit more due diligence before um, making an offer like that. But I also have a funny one too. That was, <laughs> I don't have time for that. So um, I opened up a new place that was like the most unusual Uh, It was a restaurant, it was a club, and it had illuminated furniture and dragon walls up in this private party room, Mm -hmm. and when it opened, I had my, it happened to be the day of my birthday, so I had my birthday there, and uh, in addition to the opening, and one of my good friends couldn't make it, uh, but she was going to come in the next week, and that was uh, Fran Drescher, and she, um, Franny and I have been friends for a long time, so I brought her in the restaurant the next day. That when she did come in, I said, I want you to see this room, you're gonna love it, but there's like another private party there. So we have to be quiet. So we go upstairs, we tiptoe, and I and I pull the curtain and, and she takes a look and I was like, shh, because it was the party going on. And she went, Oh, this is really nice. <laughs> and the birthday girl looks around and goes, Is that your treasure? At my party? I was like, oh, that was your really cool.
0: <laughs> Yeah, she has got the most unique voice ever. She was a stand up for a while. Yeah. I think before she got the nanny.
1: Yeah. She, well, she's everything. She's a producer, writer, director. She is amazing. And she's, yeah. But she can write some comedy. That's, oh, yeah. And that is her voice.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. And the nanny was a great show. Like, she, I mean, to get a sitcom and let it run that long, that's good for her. And it's on HBO
1: Um, Max now, so it's still running.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, Linda, thank you so much for the time today. It was truly wonderful to get to meet you, to reminisce a little bit about that uh, area of the country, and also to learn so much uh, from you. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on, Uh, and I'll put your obviously I'll put your website on the show notes as well.
1: Oh, thank you. Well, thanks for inviting me. It was good to actually catch up on the things that uh, we can reminisce about for. for our hometown. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: And thank you guys for listening to the show and we will have more episodes out soon.